I was so confident I was going to win. I was so confident. I, I slept good the night before. I, I didn't really cut weight at 57, so it was nice. I was able to eat a meal the night before, go to weigh-ins. We ate a little bit, drank a little bit, and then we went through you know 30 minute, 30 minute to an hour workout. And then I went back and relaxed. And I, I remember being very, um, I, dude, I was just excited. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100% how to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the, the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's it's, 5% of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort. It humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back at my time I spent wrestling, if it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. Welcome back to the Wrestling Changed My Life podcast. This is your host, Ryan Warner. Our guest today is Chase Pammy, NCAA runner-up for Cal Poly. He spent over nine years on the senior circuit and now owns the Gold Rush Wrestling Academy out of Las Vegas, Nevada. I loved having Chase on. I can't wait for you to hear his interview. Fan of the week goes to our friend Roy Winder, hailing from Texas. Roy loves being able to listen to these conversations and get the mindsets behind the athletes. Roy, thank you so much for all of your support, and thanks to everyone who's been listening. It really means a lot, and we can't wait to bring you more episodes. This episode is presented by Beat the Street Chicago. They're hosting an NCAA viewing party Saturday, March 18th at Fat Poor Wicker Park in the city, Chicago IL. Tickets are 25 bucks. All proceeds go to support Beat the Street Chicago. Last year, they had over 250 people attend. This year, the goal is 300. So I encourage everyone listening, if they're in the city, go to the Beat the Street Chicago NCAA viewing party. You can purchase tickets via the link in our show notes. If you can't make it and still want to support the cause, you can donate to Beat the Street Chicago, btschicago.org. This episode is also sponsored by Quant Wrestling. Quant takes the Moneyball approach to college wrestling. They track and timestamp hundreds of activities in a college wrestling match, input that data into their cloud analytics platform, and on their app, which you can download in the Apple and Google Play stores, you can see detailed statistics on college wrestlers. You can compare different wrestlers. So go to Quant Wrestling on the Apple and Google Play stores. Quant Wrestling, download the app now. And that's it, folks. Let's give it up for Chase Pammy. Chase Pammy, welcome to the podcast. Absolutely, brother. I'm happy to be on. And, and you know, we've, we've been talking for a few minutes. But again, I'll, I'll 
I'm sh- I'm sure everybody's a fan, and I already told you, but but dude, you're doing incredible things with this for the sport. I'm 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 a fan of wrestling. I'm a fan of people that are for wrestling, and and I, I absolutely love what you you've been able to build um, with with the Wrestling Change My Life podcast. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. I'm really excited to uh, to get into it with you. And and if you're watching on video, folks, you can see Chase is at his academy, the Gold Rush Wrestling Academy. How did this all start, man? I want to hear about the whole journey. Man, this was so this started probably about 2011, 2012 when I was still competing. I I I had a dream. I always so let, let me even back that up a little bit. I grew up, you know, I grew up here in Vegas, born and raised. Um growing up, you 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 didn't have private clubs. You always had kind of, you know, a, a group of dads that that, that would have a, a club at a high school and you would go and and um, you know, during that time, that's that's kind of how you did it growing up. And then um, as I came through high school, we had a club, but it wasn't really a club. It was a couple, you know, a couple dads that had some money and, and hired two great coaches, which that's, you know, we were talking about Henry. Um, Gray Maynard was one of my club coaches. Gray also coached Henry and, and, and worked with Henry and, and Angel a lot. Uh, you know, Gray fought in the UFC, three-time All-American. And then another guy named Eugene Harris, who was um, an All-American at the University of Oregon, um, he wrestled it at, at, at my high school here in Vegas. So I had two D one guys right out of college my last two years. And so we had kind of this, not like quote unquote, like club, but really it was just the kids from my high school and like one or two randoms. Um, but then, yeah, I, I left, I went to college and, and, and really the first time I ever heard about it was, I was I'll never forget talking with Josh Torella. I started hearing like about overtime, right. Yes. And, and, and you, you know that. And, and so um, I started hearing a little bit about that when Bormet and um, uh, Pritzloff, because they were together doing that, I, I believe. And they got those jobs at Michigan, I believe, at the same time. And I remember hearing all oh, the overtime guys, and I kind of looked into it. And then I asked Torella about it when we were on a trip overseas. And he told me and immediately, I'll never forget it. 2011, we're in Belarus. We were roommates. Um, and 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 immediately it popped into my mind that the, the dream and the goal of uh, of starting a wrestling academy, right? A wrestling club that was uh, going to help grow the sport of wrestling in in Las Vegas and in Nevada, right? Because there's not, we, we really don't have much that that that's come out from Nevada, you know, just in the grand scheme of things. We're, we're, we're a West Coast area. And, and so I I started dreaming about it. I got ideas. I I, I lived in Illinois, so lived in Champaign. I, I, I trained there for a while. So I always would go up to Izzy style and spend time up there and, and pick his brain and figure out what he was doing. And um, I, I was always asking questions of, of different clubs, the pinnacle guys and, and um, you know, Perler and some of these guys that have been doing it for a while and, and really tried to kind of pick apart different things about what they were doing. Um, and then also looking into like jujitsu and looking into gymnastics and all these different ways that, that, that from the business side, because right. Like, I think, I think there's, it's really hard to come back to an area where wrestling isn't, you know, there's only a small group of really elite kids in Vegas. So to really, you had to grow, grow the market, you know, and that's something that we've been really blessed to do. And, 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 and I, and I think we've done some pretty unique things to be able to grow a whole brand new market of, of wrestling here in Las Vegas. Um, so yeah, dude, it, it was a dream for 10 years. So what, what people see right now when they come into the gym and they're like, this is amazing. And, and I'm like, it, it, it is, but it, 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 there was a lot of years of dreaming and, mm-hmm. and thinking about it and 
man, again, I remember sitting in Illinois on a cold, like cold winter. Like it was, it was, I don't know if you remember 2013, 2014, it was just the most negative degrees that they had, I guess, in Champaign and, and constant snow. And I'll never forget sitting there on a, uh, right after Christmas, I just came back from Vegas. I'm living in my apartment by myself, like training to trying to make a world team and, and thinking like, Dude, I just want to move back to Vegas and start this Academy. But it took six years from that point to get there. Um, and so, yeah, dude, 10 years of planning it out. And, and, and that's, that's how it really, you know, the, the dream came about. And then I spent two years, um, while I was at Penn going through some mentorship, Roger Reyna, who's the head coach there really mentored me on the business side. He's um, amazing. Sat down with me. Oh, dude, smart, smart guy, not just wrestling, but entrepreneurial wise, he sat down with me and took me through this whole organization of how to build these different levels when you're starting a business and these all these different pieces to it and, and uh i'll be forever grateful because those were tools that that i used um to really get this thing going especially when i moved back especially in the middle of covid like covid <laughs> hit and then two months later i moved back you know Jeez. so that's kind of the backstory a little bit of of it um you know it, it's 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 uh yeah dude it, 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 a lot of dreaming went into it 10 years of it, you know, I can only imagine how, uh, like how many times you thought about how you design it, what equipment you'd have, like, what would the layout be? And if you go back to that hotel room in Belarus, so that's the first time you heard about overtime from Chirella or like how did, what, what was so special about that moment? So I, I had this vision to see all the best kids train together in, in, in Las Vegas. And I never went to overtime, so I didn't know what it really looked like, but the concept of bringing kids together and creating this facility where the best kids can train together and, 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 and allow them to, um, grow as people. Um, cause I, I know what wrestling does as far as growing people, but also to, to grow as wrestlers and the culture, right? Like you look at Illinois, um, and I'm, again, I'm talking to you a guy that's like, you know, it's been around and seen it the last, you know, they had that run in 20. 13, 14, 15, 16, you know, all those years at Fargo and you had the Isaiah Whites and the OPRF kids and the Izzy style kids and the, you know, and the Montini kids and all these kids. And, and, and a lot of that, you know, if I, if I'm, if I'm correct, a lot of that, you know, kind of stemmed from what was laid down, you know, years before when overtime was going, maybe, maybe a not direct correlation, but there, there's a lot that stemmed from that. Right. And I recognize that as I saw that, that happening in Illinois, I, I kind of looked at, man, this is, there's a lot of people that are tied back to overtime and look, that's that, 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 that's what I really want to do. I want, I want to do that for generations well beyond my time, right? 30, 40 years from now, I probably won't be coaching wrestling, but I hope the impact of what gold rush laid down um, is still seen, which I do believe there's so many people who came out of overtime um, that were impacted by that program um, that, that, that you talk to now. Yeah. You know, and that's what really inspired me. And I, and I love that idea when I talk to Josh. It's just so cool to think that. So I graduated high school in 07. Overtime was coming around strong then. And there would be years where the entire junior dual team would only be overtime kids. And and right along that same time, you had Easy Style, which was a little bit different approach than Bormet, but still super, super high level, the same structure, organization. So you had these two mega clubs kind of going head to head for a while there. And it was exciting, man. Yeah. 
that was, and I was, I, I think by the time I'd gotten into the college level, or excuse me, by the time I had gotten onto the international level and found out about overtime, I think pretty much was kind of winding down, right? Yeah. Right around 2011, 12, 13. I mean, so. think about that. You had a club coach go right to Michigan. Like that's, you wouldn't think that was even possible in the 2000s. Now it's not that uncommon, you know, for, for someone who's an elite club. I mean, obviously Bormetta coach at Wisconsin before overtime, but basically you had a kid's a kids club coach running an elite academy that now leapfrogged to Michigan, which is just like crazy to even think about. It's amazing, right? You, I, the only, I mean, you see Scott Green. I know he. That's who know, I was little, thinking. Little of. different situation, yeah. but you know, it, it's 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 it, that is a really unique situation. And, and and like, you know, there's good programs. Michigan is obviously a top top tier program, you top, know, top five program. So, pretty amazing testament to what what he was able to do. And so, when you talk about kind of your journey, you mentioned you went to uh, Illinois. How did you end up at the Illinois RTC? So really Mark Perry was the, was the, was the whole reason for that. I, um, I had, he he was at Cal Poly in 20, uh, my senior year, he came over to Cal Poly, um, and, and, and it really worked well together. I, I had a good relationship with him. I, I learned a lot from him. Big, big part of being an all American and making the national finals that year, I do believe was, was, um, just some of the, some of the elements he brought to my game. So then I moved to the Olympic Training Center and I was there 2010 to 2013. Um, and I'd kind of hit my ceiling um, at the training center. I, 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 some of the bigger guys were coming in. That's around the time Snyder and Reader and Kilgore came in. A lot of guys had just retired out of the 2012 crew. Um, and in that 2012 crew, we had a great, I mean, at one point we had four, five, six, and seven on, on the rankings ladder. Um, wow. So we at, at 145. Um, so who but was the I, coach I need, Zeke at the time? That was Slay. Slay was the Slay, Slay was, was the the, the um he was the uh, uh resident coach and Zeke was the head head uh head USA coach and Zadik was the developmental coach. Wow, so, that's a that's a loaded staff right there. <laughs> yeah, dude, the knowledge I took from those guys was amazing. Um, you know, and so yeah, I I, I knew it was time for a change. Um. It's a little side story, but it's always uh, it's always one of those. I, I don't have many. I don't ever regret anything in life, but but I always do. You know, there's a couple times where I have those. Ah, what if I would have done that? So you know, very you know, very few people know, but but Kale had had talked to me um, for for a bit. Starting in 2011, Kale had talked to me, um, and we, you know, it 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 ended up not working out um, just because I, I was at the training center. I'd only been there a year. Um, so we kind of just, you know, we'll, we'll revisit this in a couple of years. So 2013 comes and I'm, uh, I'm, I'm deciding I'm going to make a change and, uh, I'm looking at Illinois, I'm looking at all these places. And then like a month before I'm about to move, uh, we're at a training camp and, and I'm wrestling with Burroughs and, and I'm really, I, at that point I'm wrestling at a, I'd been fourth in the Olympic trials, fourth in the world team trials. So I knew like I was. I was pushing that and I was, I, I felt like I was about to jump through and, you know, it was practice. It is what it is, but Jordan and I were having a back and forth match and, and had some, you know, Taylor was still just coming on the scene. So anyways, he saw all that. And, 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 and then I think it was just conversations from the past, but he pulled me aside and said, Hey, I want to talk to you tomorrow morning. You know, uh, I, I'd love to love to have you come out to Penn state. And that's when they were just getting going, you know, Tion had just made the world team the year before, um, and I, I, I remember, I remember that very vividly. 
um, you know, that, that, that situation was, uh, um, was, uh, uh, interesting. Cause we sat down, we talked a little bit. I was like, okay, this is, this is a really interesting option on, 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 on the, uh, on the Jenna. Sorry, my, my brother and I was, um, so what was the offer? So we talked about it. He said, Hey, do you want to move out to Penn state? Um, and he called me over the next couple of days. And I remember being like, I can't take this guy's call. I had already committed to Illinois. I'd already committed. I was going to go to Illinois, be at the, at the, at the RTC there. I already had a, 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 an apartment, a down payment. I had signed all the document, you know, all the papers that you get. And uh, so I remember being like, uh, dude, like I remember even one time he called me and I was like, uh, I, I didn't pick it up. Cause I was like, dude, I don't know how to tell this guy. Like, that's Kale no, Sanderson. Kale Sanderson. <laughs> Sanderson. Like, I'm like, I don't know, I don't know what to do with this, you know? And and I remember, I think I, I, I took some time, called him back and said, Hey, like I made this commitment. I can't back out. I can't back out. I just couldn't do, I couldn't pull it off inside of me, you know? So I did end up going to Illinois and, and, and doing, and, you know, being there two years, but that's always one of those things that I just, you kind of wonder, you know, like ah, what would have happened? What could have happened? You know, all in all, I ended up going to Illinois and back to the training center and then, and then, and then Pennsylvania. And I think a lot of ending up at university of Pennsylvania ended up being the best ultimate decision for, for where I am now, but it's still one of those that I'm like, oh, what, what, what could have happened, you know? Um, but I, I just, I, I had a hard time turning back on making a commitment, you know? What was, so, uh, what was Kale like from, from your interactions you had with him? Kale's all man. He was always just, he was very easy, easy, like spoken. Well, very easy to talk to. It was, but very kind of matter of fact, I, I'll never forget. He said, well, you know, kind of like, you know, you're going to go there, but you can come to Penn state and we're basically the, basically like we're the best, you know, just very matter of fact. And, and they, and they were right. They, they are, they, they were, they produced mem world team member champion after champion. I remember him saying that and him being kind of confused, like, really? Like, you're going to, you're going to do that? Like, and, um, <laughs> you know, it, it's, uh, but no, no, you know, no hard feelings that I know of, you know, ever since then I see him shake his hand anytime I've come out there and trained always just, just really great to me, you know? So, um, but very matter of fact in the sense of what you, they are right. Right. They're, 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 they are the best right now. Hands, hands down. It's funny. You talk about the OTC. I didn't realize you went back in 2016 and literally this morning, I just had Helen Marulas on and we were talking about the OTC during an Olympic year. You were there for two of them. How is, how does it change the OTC kind of the environment and the energy when you're in an Olympic year? In 20, 2011, 2012 was different than 2016 because the resident program was really rocking at that time. We had a full, you know, we had 20, 25 guys in the room, you know, in the resident program and, you know, good, good wrestlers that were on the national team. You had Wynn Mahalik and Moza Fay and, 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 uh, uh, Dustin Kilgore. And then you had Derek Moore and Philip Simpson and Angel Cejudo and Justin Perch. And, um, and then you had myself and you had, Angel Escobedo, who lived there for a bit, and Nickerson, and so it, it was a whole different, whole different thing at that point. The interesting thing was your training partners, even though we were a lot of us were in the same weight in 2012, um, we did we did train together for the most part all the way up until the tournament. Um, 
you know, it's not like we were all competitive. We were all doing our extra things. Um, but we, we still trained all the way up to that point. Uh, so, it, but, but I, I know the girls, it's, uh, they, I remember stories are just like, man, they, g- girls are, girls are, girls are mean, man. They're, they're, they're mean to each other. So, um, and, and, and then 2016, it was a different game because I came back kind of just Illinois wasn't the right fit for me. Um, I just, I didn't really know what I wanted to do after 2016. I, it was kind of a weird time in my life. And so, and I just hurt my back. Um, I was kind of on a real downslope in my career and I just kind of felt like, man, I need to go back to, I need to go back. And, and I also looked at Arizona state at the time and, and possibly going there. Cause they had Jordan Oliver and, 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 and Zeke and things like that. But I ultimately just needed to kind of go back to be with somebody who um, I felt like was going to care for me as a, as a wrestler, but more as a person, because I was kind of unsure what I was going to do with my future. And, and, and that's where Slay played such a big part in helping me on the map, but helping steer me um, in kind of the, the, the right direction, sort of speak in 2016, but the training center, I did not have partners at that time. It was really difficult. I had, I went to Arizona almost every month um, in 2015, 2016. Um, I, I legit the no Air- partners. Legit. I really didn't have anybody. Like I, I had a couple random high school kids. Um, you know, I had, I had a college guy that would come over from, from the air force Academy. Cause I coached there. So I'd have college guys come in every once in a while. I mean, there were even mornings where I drilled with like uh, Elena Parishkova or like I would go in and grab like Terry Steiner, whatever I get my hands on at that point. So it, it was, uh, it, but, but Slay was really willing to let me go anywhere that I needed at that point. Um, so it, it was just, that was, that was different. The resident program had really, had really kind of started to fizzle out by that point. Mark Hall, um, he was there, he came back in February or March. So I did spend a lot of time with Mark, um, getting ready for the last chance qualifier. I didn't qualify for the trials that year, but, um, I did learn a lot from Mark and, and, um, I did help him train for the junior world team trials that year and, and pretty much was his main training partner all the way through that point. So is that a high school Mark Hall at that point or a college Mark Hall? That was the year before he went into college. Wow. It's, isn't it crazy to think about guys like that guys like Yanni and Spencer, like when they're in high school, like their level is just ridiculous. Dude. (laughs) I remember wrestling Yanni in 2015 or 16, somewhere around there, 17 years at the training center, still in high school. And like, dude, I was like, I mean, I'm 29, 30 years old at that point, something like that, you know, I'm like, and I was struggling to get takedowns, you know, like, I mean, every position was a fight, like, and uh, same thing with Mark, dude, like Mark, Mark was actually coming to the training center was in eighth grade. I was, I, it was 2012, right after the Olympics, all of 2012, he was living there, dude, a, a lot of it. And I was training with him and he was in eighth grade. And, and after the Olympic trials, I came back and I was getting ready for the world cup. And I actually trained with Mark for, as an eighth grader, dude, I trained with him legitimately for two months leading up to the world cup. <laughs> that is um, so stupid that he was that on that level, dude. And, and, and he was still at that age. He was still a little like he, he, he didn't know his body quite, but I'll never forget, dude. One year later, he came back after a year in high school and I wrestled with him in practice. And dude, I like, I kid you not like, it was extremely difficult for me to score. Like every takedown was a fight. His scrambling went like 
he jumped levels in his scrambling. Like I think one time we went, we came in and I was like, Hey, let's just go 50 takedowns first to 50 takedowns. And I, I remember it, it, 50. it took like, it took being like an old man, like an older man using my strength to like push him up against the wall to get like takedowns. <laughs> like it, it was not easy, dude. It was, it was difficult. He would get takedowns. I was like, dude, what happened from a year ago is beating you up. And then a year later, like, I mean, we're, I, we probably were in there an hour, you know, hour, just, just going at it, you know, it took that long on a ninth grade kid. I was, he was special. Wow. That is, that's amazing. And it's so like, you've been, you've been around so many, so many legends. And you think about your early years at Cal Poly, not to mention the great Azevedo, John Azevedo, but was Sammy Henson still there? Sammy was there for two years. Yep. So I had college was John was always a consistent um, the assistants while I was there, Matt Azevedo was there, head coach of Drexel. He was there for four years. Um, early on, a lot of people forget this. Joe Heskett was there my first year. Oh, so wow. Joe, um, Nick, Nick Preston from Ohio state was there for one year. Um, and then Sammy came in, um, my sophomore junior year. And then Perry was there my senior year. So there was quite a mixture of coaches, um, amongst those groups. And then you had like a couple guys that went to UC Davis that, that were uh, Marcos Orozco was a volunteer assistant and stuff like that from the area. And that was, that was during the time where Sammy was actually Matt's coach and he pinned Henry at the U S open 2008. Yeah, dude. Yeah, That's crazy. Never, never forget that. Right. I think he, I think Henry went for a head pinch and Matt just sprawled out and touched yeah. off. Which is wild because Henson used to be the guy that was taking out Matt Azevedo and Henry, you know, and so for yeah. him to him to coach. What do you remember? Uh, like, what do you take away from your time working with Sammy? What stands out? Sammy. So I always I'm forever grateful to Sammy, forever grateful because Sammy. Um, most people know this, but he's kind of a my way or the highway kind of guy. It's like you do it my way or you don't. And and you respect what he's done as as, as a as an as a competitor. The athletes that he's coached, he's really good one-on-one -on -one with athletes. I think running a room, he's good, but his one-on-one -on -one and his ability to kind of get into your head and, and help you jump levels. I, I always say the reason I, I, a big reason of why I was able to all American my junior year was because of his influence and, and really being able to make the national finals was because of his influence. You know, he, um, you know, I remember at one point he was kind of getting annoyed with me because I, I, he was, he would text me on Saturdays or Sundays after practice and tell me, Hey, you need to go get an extra four miles in or Sunday. You need to go get a lift and get a run. And I would be like, ah, dude, but I need to recover, you know? And I remember you started to get annoyed. Like, dude, I'm telling you what, what you want to, you want to jump levels. This is what you got to do, right? Like this is where you're at. Realistically, you're, you're not, you're not the guy, you're not there. And he started getting annoyed and kind of, kind of pulled back from me a little bit. And I remember we had this kind of like, uh, week or two where it's kind of awkward. And then I remember he took me on a, on a, on a van ride and uh, we had this kind of come to Jesus moment. Like, all right, like I, I need to understand you as my coach, but you know, I, 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 I got to know him a little bit more as a coach and what, what, what was important to him. And as an athlete, I, uh, I just told him basically like, look, whatever you say from here on out, I'm going to do. If you tell me to get up at three in the morning and go around the mountain, I'll go around the mountain. If you tell me to do this, do that. And everything he said for me from that point on, regardless of what it was, how much I disagreed with it, um, I did it. 
and 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 I ended up breaking through and becoming an all American that year. Um, and then the stuff I learned from him on top, um, you know, I, I think that was the round before the round of 12, I was literally going to lose the match. We were in the last overtime. I had locked my hands and I was on top. So there was really nothing I could do. And I ended up tilting the guy to, for three points with like six seconds left, you know, and then in the blood the round match, in the round before the blood round Ru round before the blood round. Yeah. Wow. Um, and strategy wise, he was a big help when we wrestled JP O'Connor, um, in the round of 12 that year, I'd never beaten JP and he put together the strategy of how we were going to do it. And really it, it, it pretty much played out exactly. Um, and then the next year I had more tilts and back points than I ever had at any point in my career. And in the quarterfinals in my senior year, I had lost to that guy two times that year. And I, I tilted him and, and was able to ride him out to, to win that match. But that was all such a huge influence of, wow. of Sammy Henson and his style, um, you know, and his mentality too, you know, like how much, yeah, I was going to say how much of those one-on-ones is it it's you're gaining technique, but how much of it also is just like him, his belief in himself is so strong. I feel like that passes through to his guys and they start believing in themselves more. Yeah. And that's what it was. That's why, you know, Chuck Liddell used him when he was coaching him. Um, and Sammy, when he did those one-on-ones for me, I was, I, you know, I was recognized for me. I know I was a little bit of a head case. I, I had, I had my challenges kind of trying to manage the mental part of the game. And that's where he was so big for me in those one-on-ones. Technically I picked up, I picked up a lot of his stuff on top becoming as good as I did on top was from him. Yeah. Yeah. No, you think about Mark Perry, you know, he's another top guy, but yeah, he's got also got some awesome scrambles and, you know, that's, that's an approach. I think you could correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like two kind of polar opposite guys. If you're comparing Sammy Henson and Mark Perry. Yes. But on top, both hammers on top, I, I was able to blend both of their uh, top stuff together. Cause Sammy rode legs. Most people think, Oh, short guys can't ride legs. Like, I mean, obviously I think that's changed a lot over the years. Now I mean, you see guys like Rutherford, who's a shorter guy, but puts legs and he's going to break your back, you know, but I kind of merged a lot of what I got from Sammy and a lot of what I got from Mark to really develop my top game, my senior year, which that was, that was a huge, huge part of my wrestling that year. Sammy on top in the freestyle with those legs, vicious, <laughs> absolutely vicious. I think there was when he wrestled Abbas in 2000, <laughs> Right before, you know, not right before, but, you know, Abbas was close to breaking through. I think he was even beating him on his feet. They put him down to parterre, either at the U.S. Open or the, it must have been the U.S. Open. And he got on top and he's just so mean on top and so ruthless with those legs in, power halves, like, man, just vicious. Yeah. He, only two people that I can really think of off the top of my head, maybe there's there's more, but with a high gut is Sammy Henson and, uh, Kendall Cross, two guys who had incredible high guts. And Sammy, yeah, had a gnarly high gut that he would use his legs. He'd put his legs in. He'd get this high gut, lock it up. I mean, he was strong. They call him the bull for a reason. <laughs> strong as can be. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he's awesome, man. One of, the, one of the greats. And so you have these assistants kind of coming in, cycling through. But at the same time, you have John Azevedo and – He's someone who, yeah, I definitely know his name, know his credentials, but I, I don't know if I know what makes him so unique and so special. So maybe just talk a little bit about the relationship you have with Coach Azevedo. 
John was first, I went to Cal Poly because really big part of him, my faith, my Christianity, and he was so well-respected in that way. And so um, when I, from the first conversation I had with him, he's a little awkward to talk to in terms of recruiting calls. Any recruit will tell you that, like it was always uh, interesting calls. Um, but I knew that's who I wanted to wrestle for. Um, and, and at that time, Cal Poly was hot. They just they'd had multiple All-Americans in a row. Um, but John, technically, I'm just a master, like incredible attention to detail and positional awareness to this day. Drills that I learned from him, technique that I use from him, like are things I still teach to this day, things that I still preach. Like you talk about a guy that like the fundamentals of positional wrestling, you know, like how to break it down and drills and techniques that, that, that mimic that absolutely incredible. Um, I didn't wrestle exactly like him. I did some things, but I, I, I did a lot of different things. And I think the other thing that John was for people was just, he was, he was, he's another one that was just a safe coach to talk to. Like mm-hmm. you needed someone to talk to, you wanted to sit down and, and talk life and, and have coffee and do that. Like he was that kind of guy. He had that kind of personal um, touch to his athletes and any, any athlete, I think that would ever say they were coached by him, whether they wrestled two of the years of college, five of the years of college or whatnot, they would always probably tell you his care for them as a person. And as an athlete, um, if they were going through a tough time, Hey, can I pray for you? Those kind of things. He would be very, um, he was just very in tune to that. And I think that's why he got, he got the best out of, out of his athletes. It, that's a special coach, right? Who can, who can be someone you can go to as a, as a safe place. And at the same time has the technical knowledge to back it up. And and you mentioned he had some drills. So these are drills that you, by the time you got there, you'd never seen these before and you get to college and he's teaching this stuff and you're like, Holy shit, there's like a whole new world to this. Yeah, it was different. And, and like I said, to this day, there's drills that I still use with the little kids. And I use the same exact drills with, with right now, it, you know, working with UFC fighters, Cody's got to fight. Like a lot of these guys that are, that are, that are, that are up and coming in the UFC. I've been able to work with a lot of them. I use the exact, almost like three or four of the exact same drills he did. I just tailored them a little bit, but pretty much. Yeah. I, I got it wow. from him. Yeah. And uh, you know, a lot of parents listening where they didn't wrestle, but their kids wrestled and they don't live in Vegas. So I'm just wondering if, if anything comes to mind, like what's a principle or two that you think is, is often overlooked that that's something you're teaching and that you learn from, from coach as on a technical level yeah, is yeah. Yeah. On a technical level we do, there, there's a positional drill that we do. It's a transition drill transitioning from double to single to high crotch. And then I added in body lock. And I think it encompasses all the positions while teaching to keep your hips in while teaching to, to knee pound and get your hips in. Um, moving as your partner's moving. So that, that is, that is a huge fundamental drill. And then his inside tie series was everybody knows inside tie. They learn it from like, you know, that's probably one of the first thing kids learn is how to, you know, grab on, but the inside tie series that he teaches and breaking it down from step one to step two, to step three to step four, and then putting it into action those, those, those are the huge technical pieces I took away from him. So he has a whole series on just tying up. Yeah. Getting the inside tie where, to, where you're, where you're, I'm a right leg lead. So where your left hand is on the tie, 
And then all the different ways you can use your right hand, wrist, V-block, shoulder, head, fakes. And then he breaks it down to another level where um, that's where that transition drill would come into place because you'd learn how to how to get into the legs and then what to do when you're at the legs. And then he had a whole series from each of those from a double, from a single, from a high crotch, how to finish any position he had, right? Any There was like five, four or five positions out of each position that you would run into that you would know how to finish. Wow. That's something like that is just so fascinating to me, the, the technical nuances of it. And what I love about your style is I was just watching some of your matches. A lot of your attacks, your right hand's doing the action, a high crotch, a pull single. But then on that elbow block, you're kind of using the left hand as a brace and driving them over with the right on the elbow tie. Yeah, that was uh, developed. So I got that from uh, from Gray Maynard in club. Um, he taught me that. And then over the years in college, I, I, I developed it. Um, the two main people that I really watched, well, the one main person, I didn't know my exotic had been doing it. So I didn't start picking apart my exotic stuff until I was in on the international level, but a guy named Elbrus Tadeov, uh, Russell for Ukraine, Olympic champ beat, um, Jamil Kelly in the Olympic finals had a gnarly ankle pick from the elbow. And so I would study what he did and I kind of turned into a little bit of a hybrid from what I did. The challenging thing too, was I'm a right leg lead, but I would, like you said, I would grab, I, I in my mind, I kind of broke down the statistics. I can't remember what it was, but whatever, call it, you know, 83% of wrestlers are right leg leads and, you know, 75% of the time, a lot of them are going to reach with their right hand. So I, I made this deliberate, intentional effort from the time I was a freshman until really, I, I didn't start hitting that until my junior, senior year. I mean, really, it, it came took four years to really develop it and get it right because, again, I was a right leg lead and I needed to get to the left side. So um, to really make it work at that level against the high level guys. Um, but yeah, I looked at that statistic and I was like, okay, well, that's what guys are doing. So I'm going to get good at tying up on the elbow with my right hand and learning to step with my left leg and ankle pick to people's right leg. And, uh, it ended up being, a my, my number one move from the time I was a senior in college to, you know, through the international level. Yeah, that is, it's interesting how certain things just stick, right? Like every kid's shown, you know, hunt, I don't know, hundreds, but lots of techniques and, some stick, some don't, some just feel good. And it's just something you watch, you know, that if I, if I'm thinking about the same match you are, it was, uh, cause Colat wrestled to Diva a few times and, but later in his career, it might've even been the worlds when they were in Tehran, Iran, and we didn't even go. And there was a final and it might've been to where he was just hitting this over and over on the elbow tie on the outside. Cause I, I had always thought you had to have an underhook to go to that far side. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it was just fascinating to see you hit that. And, um, I, I think it was Earl Smith posted a video of your semifinal match your senior year. And, and there was a little bit of that in there. Yeah, that was fun to see. I hadn't seen that for a while. I, I had tagged him on a, uh, Twitter posts because dude, it's absolutely like there was a couple about a month or two. I was going through a time where literally I two weeks straight, I would lay down in bed and usually I'd, I'd go to bed, but I pull up my computer, I'd get home and I'm watching, you know, two weeks worth of, of college wrestling matches from, you know, eighties, nineties, two thousands, you know, from now I, I, his channel is amazing. I can sit there for forever watching some of those old matches. Yeah. It's cause that that's such an exciting round too. 
you know, everyone, I mean, quarters probably the most semis and sometimes the finals are a little, little bit less action packs. There's so much on the line, but the semis and a lot of his matches are from those rounds that you don't see. So it's awesome. And you know, what a, what an advocate for wrestling. Talk to us about your senior year. So you, you, uh, all American as a, as a junior, as you mentioned earlier, quarterfinal round, you take out the guy from Boise state who beat you at the pac tens or, or pac 12s. I was getting confused. Pac-10 or Pac-12? Uh, at that time, it was Pac-10. Pac-10. Now it's Pac-12. So you, you get to the finals, and talk us talk us through, like, Saturday morning, you weigh in. What are you feeling, like, emotions and nerves throughout that day leading up to the finals? I was so confident I was going to win. I was so confident. I, I slept good the night before. I, I didn't really cut weight at 57, so it was nice. I was able to eat a meal the night before. Um, go to weigh-ins. I had to shave for some reason. I guess I missed some spots. They made me shave and made weight. We ate a little bit, drank a little bit, and then we went through, you know, 30 minute, 30 minute to an hour workout. And then I went back and relaxed. And I, I remember being very um I dude, I was just excited, dude. I was anxious to get out there. Um, I was trying to nap before the finals, but I, I felt very confident. Um, I I I really was gonna go out there and just I was gonna I was going to get as many takedowns as I could get. That was, I really didn't have a strategy in that match, which looking back on it now, maybe I should have had a little bit more strategy. Um, we went over some detailed like technique positions. Um, uh, Mark Perry and actually Co Corey Cooperman um, kind of jumped in on it and, and gave me a few pointers um, on, on some finishing positions. But I wanted I, – I remember I said if I always made the national finals, like I wanted it to be exciting, you know, and – it was a six, four match. There were takedowns early on. There were some scrambles. Um, I, I, I didn't want it to be a stagnant, just one, one close match. So I really tried to come out firing I scored right away. Um, and then he got up and then I think, you know, again, you never really know what could happen, but it's the end of the period. I'm in on a single, he's near the out of bounds line and he'd done this to me before. And I just, to this day, it's one of those where like I lay there at night and just, you know, where you kind of like cringe, but we we're near the out of bounds. And I tried to jump, capture his far foot on a single leg and, and get the two, keep my toes in, but he had a trick leg or a trick knee. So he tricked me, got behind and, and, and right at the end of the period. So it was three, two, and he was good on top. So it made it a little hard to made it a little hard. Cause when you had to chase JP, um, it wasn't good. And that was different. The strategy that we had the year before with Sammy Henson is, we weren't gonna, we weren't gonna chase him. You know, we were gonna make him kind of chase us a little bit. Um, and so, yeah, it was, it was, it was, uh, you know, it was, it was. Uh, I was confident though, man. I had every belief. And and when I stepped off the mat, um, I was sad. I lost. I was hurt because that was that was a dream I'd spent hours and hours envisioning and thinking about. And I remember went to the back. It was. I was definitely sad. I was, I was, I was, you know, I was heartbroken, but I was also, I had no regrets because I believed I did everything I could to put myself in position in my knowledge. And I believed when I went out there that I didn't hold back. I, I, I tried to put on as much of a show while I was out there and, 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 and not, not make it a, you know, a, a, a slow match, you know? So, you know, you, you get what you get sometimes and, and, uh, but I have no regrets, man. And from what I, I read an article that you did a couple years after, but it said that after that match, that kind of sent you on about a two year journey of, of kind of self-discovery. And, and, you know, I'm just curious, 
well, was it like a like a religious thing for you, or was it more so kind of figuring out how you wanted to to progress your career after that match? Yeah, I well, my faith was always an important part of my my career and and, and my life, and and so um, the bounce back after that, I always knew I was going to wrestle on the international level. That was something that was that was ingrained in me from time I was you know time I was I was you know I was young. My my uncle was a very successful athlete. He was a two-time world team member in, in the marathon. He was one of the top 10 runners in the world and ran in three different Olympic trials, qualified for three different trials. Wow. Um, in, injured three different times. This is my uncle. Yeah. Wow. So amazing, amazing athlete, well-known in the, in the running community. And, um, but he, uh, so my mom, my mom was witness to all that and she saw that he never got to achieve his goals and dreams. And, we were watching the 96 Olympics and she told me, uh, you're either going to go to the Olympics or you're going to be the president. So you better choose one or the other, basically, you know, like she kind of laid it out straightforward. My mom's like Italian old school, like kind of lady and very matter of fact. And that's just kind of what it was. So it's like, I think I'm pretty good at the sports thing. So I'll go the Olympics route, you know? Right. right. Um, and so, yeah, dude, those, those two years afterwards, I think, um, you know, I, I struggled with, and I, I don't think I ever really, I didn't overcome a lot of it until really I was later on in my career. You know, I think I struggled with as an athlete um, was, was and a lot of athletes, too, just finding your identity in what you do, right? Finding your identity in wins and losses. And I, I, I look at it now and, and people are always like, if there's anything you could change about your career, you know, what would you do different? Um, and that's kind of one of those pieces I always tie back into my career is just the identity of who I was not being so rooted in wins and losses. It's great to, you got to be a competitor. You got to want to win. You got to hate to lose. That's, that's part of being a competitor, mm -hmm. but not to the point to where it affects who you are, how you act, how you treat people, how you, um, and, and to this day, it's still one of those things, even as a coach to manage it, I have to be very, very, um, very diligent, you know, cause it was a habit that was there for years and years and years at a high level. Um, but those two years, um, I really just took a lot of, and, and coach Slay would always talk to me about it. You know, we'd go get coffee and we'd always talk about where, you know, where my identity lied, you know, was it in wrestling or was it, was it in my faith? Was it in Christ or was it in the wins and losses? And I think I would say it was like, you know, in Christ and who I am and, and, and but really it's a lot of it lied in the wins and losses. And so that was kind of that start of that journey. I would say I didn't really see that journey through until probably four or five years later in my life where it really started to kind of manifest itself. And the, the understanding was there, you know, it's a hard thing to do because now I feel like just from doing so many interviews, it seems like that thought process is more pervasive, but you know, we're, we're similar in age. I don't remember that being a thing coming up at all. <laughs> like what they, you know, separating that. I don't remember anyone ever talking about that. Yeah. The, the evolution of all of it too, right. The evolution of the mental game. I mean, you've got, so many people understand the importance of, of, of mindset and sports psych. And, and then the diet, you know, I don't want to go too far off, but dietary changes, recovery, all this kind of stuff. I mean, these are things that you're, you're, you're seeing now, but yeah, there, there's certain things that are interesting that, are, that you see posted on Twitter, you see people putting out there and, and the, the evolution and the thought of over the last 10 years, you know, within the world, within sports, though, within wrestling and, and the mental side of it, I mean, we're, we're so much more seen and aware to it than we've ever been before. 
right? I think a lot of it has to do with Kale because those guys are winning. And a lot of times they're winning with the approach you're talking about, you know, is going out there. You hear it all the time. It's almost cliche, but the, you know, just grateful to compete. And so that, that allows them to wrestle free. And uh, man, that's just seemed, those guys of that era, the David Taylors, the, the Ed Roos, like in, you know, Bo Nickel, all those guys, they wrestled like that. And so I, to me, that just seems like you kind of started to get, you started hearing about it as Kale started doing his thing. And, and now it seems like that's just definitely a kind of a mainstream thought. Yeah. It, 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 and, and, uh, mindset wrestling mindset, you know, wrestling Moore, mindset. Fantastic. He, he always talks about that. You know, he's a, he's a, he's a good friend of mine and, and he's come here. He did, he did mindset training for us. And some people have their feelings about it. Honestly, you know, I was not a big fan for a while, but in terms of bringing in someone who has the knowledge and the specialty as, as a coach, you know, I think it's, it's, and it's not a plug for them. I just, I, I, I just really saw the value in, in what those concepts that sometimes it's not knowing it's not uh, we, we know what to do, right. We kind of know those things, but how to lay that out for large groups of people and kids and just put those thoughts into kids when they're younger. I didn't have that when I was younger, you know, it took me all those years to figure it out. Now I'm like, man, I want kids to know that, you know, this age that we value, you know, we value your effort. You know, if you go out there and you lay down and you don't try yeah, I'm going to be pissed. You're going to hear from me, but you go out there, you give your effort, you fight your ass off. Like you do that. Uh, and, 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 you know, and, and however it ends, win or lose, I'm a competitor. So I, yeah, I'm still probably going to get fired up, but I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to, uh, you know, I'll praise you for that, but be, be thankful for the opportunity. You know, I, I always try to do that for myself and, and, and reflect that in, in, in the kids and athletes, be thankful to your parents. Thing where you get to step out on this mat, right? Last week we had the state tournament in Nevada and then the state thing, it's interesting state tournaments and all this stuff, but, but they, they have them all split out in weird ways. And there's the five, a brackets, the big schools, the four a is kind of, big ish schools. I don't know how you want to lay, but one of the kids came up to me and like, it's not good enough. He was like, you're just state champ. It's not good. Four a, you know, basically he's like four a it's only 20 teams. And, and I had to stop him for a moment. Like buddy, like there's 50 other people in here that would love to be in your spot. There is there's three through fourth or second through fourth placers that would love to be in your spot. And regardless of four, a three, a two, a one, a, you need to be grateful. You need to be thankful. And I'll tell you who I got that from was Jordan Burroughs. Mm. I was in a down part of my career, 2015 in Illinois. I was just, just wasn't really competing well. And he came out, um, you know, we ended up building a good friendship over the years. I was actually going to be his training partner for the world team trials. One of the years and I had hip surgery and um, it was just, he was always a good friend and, 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 and just wise dude, really wise years, you know? And I, I, I was kind of, complaining a little bit and, and I remember he, he kind of stopped me and was like hey dude like you're two-time division one all-american you're in the national finals multiple time you know placer you you wrestle on the international level you've placed it but you know you're an NYAC champ you've you know you placed at this tournament you've done this and done that and and he's kind of going through this list and I remember when he laid it out that way I kind of was like all right, that's actually a lot. And coming from, you know, arguably the GOAT, you know, like, um, and everything he's done, I was looking at, well, you've done all this. I'm thinking in my mind, you know, but just the way he was able to bring that knowledge and what he said, dude, that I, I will never, ever, ever, ever forget that conversation. And to this day, I have that same conversation with 
my kid, my kids, when they're struggling with comparison to where other athletes are at, you gotta be grateful. You know, all the things you get to achieve, because there's always somebody else that would want to be in your place. Right. Yeah. No, that's man. That's cool. that JB broke it down like that. Cause like you said, man, I don't even know if it's arguably anymore. It could just be the goat, you know, the, what John Smith did in six years was special, but JB and this longevity. And when the Soviet union is now 16 other countries, you got to wrestle every round. It's not just one of them, you know? So it's like, yeah, freaking crazy. I wanted to ask you uh, about two other things before we sign off. One is you mentioned, uh, obviously you're in Vegas, the epicenter of, of UFC MMA, so is one of the things you do to kind of help offset your gym, do you do a lot of like kind of paying the bills by doing jujitsu classes? Is that a model you sound good success with? That that I actually do jujitsu classes? Like do you get, or, do you offer jujitsu classes at your gym or is it strictly wrestling? No. So we, we've gone strictly wrestling. And oh, wow. I, here was my thought process is I'm a specialist at what I do, right? There's not very many who've done it at, at those levels and, and in that way. Yep. And let's add on top of that, like in Las Vegas, you know, there's, there's the, you know, I, for Nevada, it is what it is, but I've, I've, I've probably had the most successful career wrestling wise, you know, of any Nevada athlete. There's a few others that, that have had very successful ones. Depends who you ask, but, but I've, I've been very, I've, all, all in all, I've had a very successful career in, in here in Nevada. So when I come back, I, I, I have that kind of, reputation and so i always said when i came back to vegas i was like i'm gonna stay in my lane mm -hmm. i'm a wrestling coach at the end of the day i wrestle that's my specialty i do jujitsu I, I go to another gym who who has a lot of uh, same wrestling mentality which is the that's a whole other conversation the, the jujitsu world but yeah. i go to this one gym that i really enjoy because they've got a little bit of a wrestling mentality to what they do i have some guys that come over here but we do really our business model is we go all the way from three years old to 18 years old and we have it leveled off in terms of classes that there's a promotion system and there's a shirt system within each of the, within those classes, kind of sort of a ranking system. Um, and then there's also, like I said, there's those levels. So I kind of took a little bit of gymnastics model of business and put it into a hybrid of jujitsu and, and, and that model. And that's kind of really how we built, our, our foundational business model. Um, so we're really able to, I'd say we've got our main location and then we've got two satellite locations and, and we're, we're probably running well over, you know, 250 plus kids in all three locations. Wow. Um, all the way from three years old through, through 18 years old. So how so, does the shirt system and like belt system, is it like a belt kind of, or we do shirts. So we do shirts. So to really break out all our classes, we have our minor system, because we're gold rush minors and my you know, so minors is three through seven year old. And that's, that's just a, a progression system that does wrestling. And we also work with a company called tumble track, which is really big on the gymnastics side. And we've worked to develop um, a curriculum from three years old to seven years old that helps progress these kids um, to that age. I am highly against kids under seven competing but I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit here and tell people like, Hey, we want our kid to compete. No, you can't, but I'm, I'm highly against really under that seven year, seven year age group, really doing a lot of competition. I'm more on the development side. And so our whole program is based around, um, you know, there's a certain color shirt for that, the three, four year olds. 
There's a certain color shirt that the set five through seven year olds get. Um, and then once they're, they're past seven years old, our next set of classes is called our discover series, which is just discover wrestling. And there's three different levels within discover wrestling that you can kind of, that you can level up in. Um, discover one is where our, our belt series is. There's a, a white shirt, a gray shirt and a green shirt. And every time they, we do testing every couple of months. Um, and really that's kind of for your kid. That's just kind of trying it out, having fun. It's really more like a, it's not a competition class. You can't do any competitions in D one, but you can, you can just do it. You can learn wrestling. Um, and then when tryout time comes, we do a tryout twice a year. Um, you can test into D two or D three or elite. So, um, wow. You yeah, get so it D1, really broken out, man. Yeah. It's a whole thing. That's so cool. D, it's, 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 it's been really good. So then discovers. Yeah. So we do discovers. And then from there they go, once they've graduated out of discovers, um, they go, they have D three is called travel prep discover three slash travel prep, which is now you're, now you're preparing to go into elite classes and you're preparing to, um, start traveling. So, and then branches off different ways for high school and, 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 and uh, high school boys and girls from there. So. It's, it makes sense because otherwise you go to a club as a six-year-old, you're learning the same as the eighth graders and you're just in this mesh of people, you know, it's like, what, where's the advancement? What are we doing? And people like a track of advancement, just like in your career, right? Like people want to move up. I would, you know, it makes so much sense to do it that way. So that is uh that's fascinating. And it probably helps with the retention. It does. It, it, I, I, it's a blessing, dude. I'm, I'm going to, I, I, I look at, I talked to coach the other day. I'm like, dude, our retention rate is, is actually analytics wise. It's not, that's you're Like you're not supposed to be that high, you know? Right. Um, but we like again. I think it goes back to creating. There's something that's always being chased, and it's and it's we're built. We're playing for the long game. So I'm not wrestling kids when they're young because I want them to have a long career in this sport. You know. Wow. If I'm a high school coach in Vegas, I'm trying to get all the gold rush kids. <laughs> <laughs> Before we sign off, man, I gotta say how much I enjoy your videos of the like the wrestling spoofs. My favorite one is. <laughs> I think it's like, what kind of coach are you in terms of the handshakes at the tournament? Like sometimes it's like, you give like 10 examples and what you like, you walk past the guy, you give him the nod. The other one is you give him like a two on one, you try wrestling. I'm like, where'd you get the ideas for all these videos, man? Dude, I, there, there's some more coming out. We took a two week break. Cause we, we, we are starting to really like, I'd really love to crank them out a lot, but uh, some of them I kind of, I kind of see online. I, I get ideas from other people that I see online. Some of them, I'm just, I, I'm, I'm observing, man. I observe the funny stuff that, that, that people do at tournaments, coaches, like the, the little mannerisms that we all do, you know, the little head nods, the, you know, when you're, you're both walking with your hands in your pocket, you tap each other on the back, you know, um, <laughs> I like the confused one. coach, the one where you're like trying to explain the day and you're walking. By. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, That's dude. It's, we've all been there, dude. And then it's the, and, and then I watch parents at the tournaments where I see parents. And I'm just like, dude, parents are ridiculous bro like it's so funny to see some of the mannerisms that the parents do you know so we uh i, I i'm I, i'm an observer man and they uh they they, they absolutely so funny and it keeps it fun dude i get stressed during tournaments so whenever i can like whenever i can uh find something funny i write it down on my phone and i'm like hey coach I got one. Like we next week, I think we got, I think we got a really good one coming up next week that we've been, we've been working on some content for. So I'm excited, man. The, the, maybe you've already done it. Maybe you haven't, but 
the one I always thought would be funny. Once I saw your video, it had me thinking about this. It's like, which warm up wrestler are you? You got the guy punching himself. You got the, you got the guy doing stance in motion. You got the guy getting slapped around. I mean, there's just that, that would be one that uh, would be funny for you guys to tackle is how do you warm up? You know, which, which guy are you? I think we had that. I think we had done something similar to that, that we tried. Um, and it, it might've fell off. I mean, I need, might need to circle back on that one. Cause, uh, that was after Fargo last year. And I think we tried doing it and then we were like, nah, we're going to go on break. You know, dude, that's yeah. a good one. I, 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 you gave me some good ideas for that. Yeah. It's uh well, and, and people who are listening, go to chase Pammy's Instagram because they're sprinkled in, you know, that's like every fourth or fifth one, you'll drop one. And it is hysterical. I mean, even, even like, yeah, like you wrestling parents, you would think by now you've heard how much people make fun of you, but apparently it hasn't changed because your content of imitating parents is spot on. <laughs> and, and I try to make fun of the coaches too. Cause one of the parents was like, they were all joking, but I'm always like, maybe there's a little truth. Cause like a bunch of them were like, man, I kind of feel attacked. I'm like, ah, well, let me show you what all the coaches say and what we do. So <laughs> yeah, the coaching ones all- are good too. Yeah. The, yeah, I'll, um, I'll, I, I'll have our guy repost them because they are funny, man. And I, uh, I enjoy, man. It just kind of makes me think, man, if I'm a kid in your club, I know that I'm getting great instruction. It's serious, dead serious, but also coaches, coaches got some jokes and that always helps too. Yeah. They, uh, it keeps it fun for the little kids. The high school kids think it's, they always get a kick out of, kick out of it. I'll see them repost. Like our coaches are funny and try to stay cool with them. And, and, uh, you know, I'm getting older. I'm, I'm 36, but I, I like to think that I'm still 17, 18, 19. When I joke around with the kids, I know some of it, hopefully not all of it comes off cringy, but you no, know, it's funny, man. It's good. And it's like, it's only, it only find it funny if you're in that world and you're a wrestling person. But if you're in there, it's like, man, this is spot on. Heck yeah. Heck no, yeah. it's absolutely man. And, and Chase, I just want to thank you for coming on, man. It's been, it's been a lot of fun and time flew by i can't believe it's already been an hour 15 yeah dude thank you again like i said at the beginning you're doing amazing things um you had one of my wrestlers on you, you let him do a shout out atticus last week thank Bane you for of the that. week and, baby and, yeah i appreciate that and, and uh i got a lot of wrestlers and kids that listen to your podcast and and it's uh the, the content stuff is great so keep doing what you're doing man i'm a, i'm a big fan and 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 i'm i'm appreciative to be on man it was an honor when you asked i just felt honored and thankful so thank you well dude i can tell you're gonna come back on because we have a a good flow and there's a ton of shit we didn't even get to so like i want to learn all about the ufc pi and and working with some of these top level athletes because that's a that's a whole another game man so we'll definitely have to get you back on here the next couple months sounds good brother i look forward to it thanks for listening to this episode of wrestling changed my life with chase pammy this episode was sponsored by beat the street chicago They're hosting an NCAA viewing party at Fat Poor in Wicker Park, Chicago, IL, Saturday, March 18th. Tickets are $25. Purchase now via the link in our bio. This episode was also sponsored by Quant Wrestling. Download the Quant Wrestling app in the Apple and Google Play stores. Quant Wrestling, Q-U-A-N-T. That's it, folks. We'll see you next week with a new episode of Wrestling Changed My Life. Peace!